coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Feeling good about Goodfeel. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Hey, Patrick. How's it going? Going all right, Mark. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, Hey, real quick. We don't have to dwell on this for super long, but what's up with that new King Arthur movie that's coming out? I don't. I can't say that I'm aware of a new King Arthur movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there's a new King Arthur movie. Is it like the beginning of a new King Arthur cinematic universe? Um, I imagine that, yes. I imagine the answer to that answers yes because the subtitle is like legend of the sword no which <laughs> but here's no a, it's not it is I, or something like that but it has a subtitle uh-huh uh directed by guy Ritchie. okay a starring charlie hunnanan hunnanan <laughs> the guy from pacific rim and sons of anarchy and stuff oh yes okay um jude law's the bad guy all right it just it looks like bland in that way where you're like this had to have been enormously expensive one of those like kingdom of heaven or that what was that robin hood movie that ridley scott made more the robin hood okay more the robin hood than the kingdom of heaven because like both those are ridley scott aren't they i don't know i think they are (laughs) (laughs) anyways i would say check out a trailer but don't oh okay great uh let's move on to the weather report so Uh, nice so nice it was Uh, rainy yesterday thunder and lightning I heard a big uh, thunderclap. <laughs> it was cool because we don't get those here. Yeah, we really don't. Uh, that's good. Um, we've got some debugging to do. A little bit. A little bit of debugging. We were talking about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe last week, uh, which you have now listened to a full week ago because you listened to this the day it comes mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and we said, hey, where's that, uh, where's that Crazy 8 item? Yeah, I think... I said that I didn't think it was in there. Yeah. We said, hey, Crazy 8, where'd you go? Turns out it's there. It is. Yes. It's in the game. <laughs> Although I still haven't seen it in action uh-huh. or um, like got it, like received it. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, But I just saw it like as it was going oh, that, through. That it was in, in the, in the mm-hmm. options. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like it, it's not a very common item in the original game, so maybe even less common when it's crowded out by, you know, that feather that lets you jump or the ghost. Those are the only two new items, right? Mm, uh, you'd know more than I would. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Mark, what have you been playing? Uh, well, we've both been playing Donkey Kong Country 2 Diddy's Conquest. That is true. And part three of our... Uh, play along will be coming out a week from Thursday. Right. And I think that's part three is where we really turn on the game, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. We're not really having fun. <laughs> we are not. And before the Get Good Brigade like starts flooding us with emails, uh-huh. just let it be known that I, like, I, I, I feel like playing a game as an adult and so approaching this game with fresh eyes 
from the first time versus playing it as a kid when your time is meaningless. Right. And you're like, yeah, I can die at this a million times because my other option is to do homework, which I don't want to do. Well, okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're making a compelling argument for our time is more valuable than just to like slam our heads against the wall playing Donkey Kong well, Country 2. But the, uh, the point of my point <laughs> is that it does, uh, I don't think. I don't think you can compare you can compare your experience with this game as a child when like an unforgiving difficulty is just a obstacle to be overcome. Sure, it's value. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Versus as an adult when you're just like, "Wait, but this isn't fun and I can be doing so much more fun things because I have money." I mean, I think that's I that's the thing, right? Is that it is the challenge has not delivered much fun to us. By the way, if you're enjoying us complaining about this right now, like just wait. Oh man, <laughs> we've got <laughs> so much more of this for you if you tune in every other Thursday. <laughs> Actually, let's let's stow the rest of this for all right for these conversations. Uh, that's fair. I will just say, if you really like Donkey Kong Country Two, mm-hmm. I would love to hear from you and an explanation as to why. Explain yourself. Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I think not, it's a bad game. We're not feeling it. Yeah. Like profoundly, we think it's a bad game. Yeah. Um, also, we checked out some uh, video of Donkey Kong Country 3. Seems like it might be as good, right? If not, yeah, yeah, as good. Right. I won't go so <laughs> far as to say if not better. Right. We can throw like a little bit of shade here. I don't know that we want to come out swinging saying definitely DKC 3 greater than DKC 2. Uh, also, I've uh, been playing Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, Mark, today... Earlier today, I rolled credits on that game. Wow. I defeated Ganon. Um, I got the, the last Divine Beast yesterday and was just like feeling the momentum. And I was like, let's do it. Let's, let's go to Hyrule Castle. How many shrines do you think you ended I, up doing? I, I did 78 shrines. Nice. Um, and I've got just over 100 Korok seeds. Uh, which is still insane to me that there's like 800 more of them scattered around the world. One ninth. <laughs> yeah, you have like... One ninth. I have 11%. Um, what did you think of... So the last Divine Beast you did was the bird, right? Yeah. And so now that you've done all four, which one was like your favorite? Which one was... Uh, so I think, I think I've got two favorites and they were my first two. The, uh, um, the Gerudo and the Zora uh, beasts. Um, Although the I, I found the, the bird divine beast to be super easy, um, like I got my way to all the terminals almost by accident, um, and the uh, the camel was like the most kind of involved of them, where you had to like try all the different permutations, and sometimes it like kind of grinds against like the inconvenience of just having to like trial and error figure it out. Um, wasn't as much fun as I mean I, I yeah I think the elephant the the Zora one. I, that was me working it out in real time. <laughs> Which one was my favorite? Yeah, I would say my least favorite was the volcano one. Yeah. Yeah. There's just nothing really like I didn't like the approach to it mm-hmm. or as in like when you have to do that kind of escort mission thingy. The escort mission That was my least favorite one of those. Yeah, the escort mission is a bummer and I think the all the other peoples of Hyrule are so like humanoid, and the Gorons are just like enough different that they f- almost feel like I'm in a different game. You know, like they're cartoon characters in the world of 
um, Hyrule. So like, I don't know. I, I think just maybe that's my least favorite region for that reason. I just, I don't, I'm not in love with the Gorons the way I am with the the other people. Was that the one where it was like pitch black when you play through the first part of it? Like until you get the the map? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. So I thought that actually mechanic was interesting and cool. Yeah. And once you get further into it, when it's like flipping over and all this kind of stuff, like you understand why they couldn't continue that. But I thought, I kind of wish they would have scrapped uh yeah the other aspect of it and just kind of focused more on that because it was i thought it was interesting well here's a question for you have you been to the i don't know what it's called but like the blackout forest yes um because that does a lot of that except it's like even darker you can be like lighting torches and it casts so little light around Um, yeah that was cool yeah that that, that's a cool area i'm actually kind of glad i did the bird one first because i liked rivali rivali's gale yeah. Like being able to jump. Oh man, like Rivali's mixes. Gale. It's a revelation. Yeah, because the other three I don't really use that often. Oh, I use, uh, I have used all of them all the time. Like um, when I've got Mifa's Grace, I'm like, I'm fine. I can, I can, I can take the hits down to zero and then get my life filled up. Um, and uh, I, I'm kind of using Z targeting in combat all the time anyway. So like I'm kind of, uh, I'm using Daruk's Protection unintentionally all the time um and there's nothing like uh, urbosa's fury to kill a lionel like it's so good at taking Ooh, them i'll down. have to try that i haven't used it at all it's so good because it stuns them uh, it's, it's an automatic stun and then you can just beat the crap out of them um and f- if you've got like a, a decently leveled weapon you know some something in like the 30s or 40s range you can um you know knock them out with that lightning three times and each time just like wail on him with the weapon and if it's like a regular lionel or just as long as it's not like a white or silver lionel you can take him out um really without giving him a chance to get at you um i've been doing a lot of the side quest stuff Mm -hmm. that i haven't done yet like i went back to the village and bought the house oh great and you know like uh bought all the furniture and everything (laughs) that i could Do you have weapons in? Did you put things in the? Yeah, the yeah. I kind of want. I wanted to put the master sword there and just leave it till I was gonna go take on Ganon, but awesome. it doesn't let you. Oh, well. Like you can't put them. Everything else you can, but the master sword you can't. Right. Um. Put there. So I. Yeah. I'm kind of torn. I'm. Uh. After I finish the like some of the side quest stuff I have going on, I guess I'll probably head towards Ganon, even though I haven't found every shrine. Are you? So you hit credits. Does that mean that at least for now you think you're done, or will no. you continue? Yeah, I hit credits and then jumped right back in. Um, I mean, there there was just like st- stuff that I had done uh in the approach in uh Hyrule Castle that I was like, oh, I should really level up this armor. Or like, oh, you know, I only need to catch a few more fireflies to upgrade that, and like it's. At this point, it's all like a vanity game, right? Like, I know I can go in there and beat Ganon um, without, like, a ton of... Like, I saw it was on a whim that I was like, I'm going to go in there. Um, And normally, I would have, like, loaded up on some, you know, hearty mixed vegetables or something um, to, you know, really be sure that I was going to be fine. Um, And I had maybe, like, one or two of them with me and, you know, was was able to to beat him. Yeah, I mean, I've... Uh, I guess I don't know what Ganon's like, but I have reached the point where I don't feel overpowered, but there's nothing that 
I encounter that scares me. Like the bosses of the Divine Beasts mm-hmm. went down so easy. Oh yeah. Um, that like tremor type thing that's out in the desert. Yeah. Those things, you know, like there's nothing. So the only thing that like intimidates me at this point, it's not even like intimidation, just so much as like I know I have to be prepared to fight it. Are the silver Lionels? Um, those guys are tough. They can still knock me out, like for real. But also, like I can just revolley away from there and you know shoot them with uh explosive arrows or something. And yeah, and I guess usually when I'm going into a fight like that, I prep with uh like the silver Lionels specifically. I prep with um like damage protection. Like mm-hmm. I up my armor, eat something to like up my armor by yeah. three times, mm-hmm. and then it's just like, oh, you can do whatever you want to me. It takes away half art. Right. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um. What uh? What kind of armor are you uh, wearing? I don't know what you have or haven't discovered yet, so I don't want to spoil it. That's a fair point. Um, but I'm wearing one that I feel pretty cool about. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> requires l- some luminous stones. Okay, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So I. All right. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What about you? Uh. Well, now I al- I also don't want to spoil uh, oh, okay, for, for for other people. Um. But. Suffice it to say that I swap out armor all the time. Yeah, also true. Um, like, I will do the thing where I've got um, some just protective armor when I'm fighting a Lionel, and then the second I stun him, I'm like, nope, barbarian stuff goes on to get that attack bonus, and then wail on him for a little bit, and then switch it all back. So, yeah, no, I... I'm... And you kind of have to, depending on just, like, environmental stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and then you get like that kind of hodgepodge where you're like, okay, fireproof hat and climbing gear and, you know, something else for some other kind of boost. I do wish after um, you've either gone in for the first time or you defeat the, defeat the Divine Beast or whatever, you don't have to keep switching into Gerudo gear in order to get into... Yeah, I thought for sure that like after you proved yourself to them that they would be like, oh, you're okay. I mean, nope. again, it's not that big of a deal because I guess I'm switching out armor all the time. But for some reason, it just kind of bugs me. There's, I, I do wish there was a way to just be like put on this set of armor. Yeah. Um, instead of having to like select them each. And it's also, it's so weird. The armor is the only thing that allows you to sort it two different ways. Um, you can either say sort by like all the helmets together or sets together. And I do sets. Yeah, I do sets too, because it doesn't make sense the other way. Yeah. Um, but I, I also wish that they would just let you like group them however you want to group them. Um, I also like the, uh, the guardian armor. Ancient armor, I think is what it's called. I don't know that I have any of it. Uh, you got to go up to that um, Alaka lab in the... Yeah, um, you have to like buy it, right? Yeah, you got to like buy it and trade a bunch of stuff for yeah, it. Yeah, so I haven't done that yet. Um, man, what a cool game! <laughs> uh, I do from the uh, from Kilton the monster guy. Um, I purchased a Lionel mask, um, which only works on the Lionels for like a second, and then they know it's you. Um, but Link does like the posture of the Lionels, like he sticks his chest out a little bit, and his arms are like kind of crooked. Oh, that's cool! It's so it's so funny, and the mask looks so crappy. Um. <laughs> Uh, I just yeah uh, no the, like there's no way I'm I'm done with this game. Um, I'm gonna keep going back into it and upgrading armor and um, finding stuff and doing shrines and collecting korok leaves and or not the leaves seeds. <laughs> uh yeah for for a while 
Uh, also been playing some Mario Kart 8 Deluxe still. Yeah, tell me about that. Mm, I mean, not a lot to say other than it's really cool, <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. Good. Um, I've also been playing it a, a little bit, not not a whole lot. Sarah and I continue to play a lot of Puyo Puyo Tetris. Um, we had uh, Saturday or Friday or s- some, there was some, you know, block of two hours that we just lost to uh, playing the swap mode against each other i went and watched the uh like opening cutscene. oh yeah of the story <laughs> mode and wow yeah it's obnoxious right <laughs> really obnoxious hey what a beautiful day nothing could ruin this beautiful day hope we don't get pulled into another dimension <laughs> puyo puyo <laughs> or whatever um, I have also just been playing um, some Graceful Explo- Explosion Machine. Yeah, so is that a new pickup? No, I, I got it the day it came out. Um, it's it's a cool, like, kind of spacey, arcade-style um, shooter. It's all about racking up uh, combos and getting points and stuff um, and switching out between your various uh, forms of weapons and, um, like, skipping around the map using, like, little boosts. Uh, it's it's super fun. I, I never really want to play it for more than, like, 20 minutes at a time um but those are always a a good 20 minutes how's the music in it it's cool it's it's a little bit more like backgroundy um like nothing really stands out to me as super cool but um like all 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 the textures like make me excited to play it like i think it it serves its purpose very well but i'm not walking away away from it like humming anything how much was it It was like 15 bucks 20 I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, $10? Great. Some, somewhere between $10 and $20. <laughs> I'll say $10. Um, I also picked up Fire Emblem Fates. I'm on the Fire Emblem train right now. Like, I'm, I'm on board, and I'm excited about the new one coming out. And uh, I got, um, I spent some, uh, nin- my Nintendo rewards points to get a discount on Fire Emblem Fates. And I picked it up, and so I've actually been playing my 3DS a little bit. Is this the... One that is two different games, or like yes, this is the one that's ki- kind of three different games, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm playing through the birthright scenario. Did you pick it up digitally? Yeah, and does that just come with everything? No, so the uh, any any version of the game just comes with either I think you can buy all three of them. I don't know. So you can uh, you can buy birthright, conquest, and I think revelations is the other one. Um, and Birthright and Conquest were both like day one releases came out the, at the same time, and you could spend twenty bucks to add the other scenario to it. Um, and then eventually, when Conquest came out, then you could pay another twenty dollars to get that game. So, how did you determine which one you wanted to get? The discount was only for Birthright. That's a great reason. So that's why I did it. Um, but I probably also would have done that one anyway. It's uh, kind of pitched as the more um, traditional one and conquest i think is a little bit uh, either like the difficulty level is tighter or um it's uh, like just a more it requires a more aggressive play style and so i thought you know i'll do birthright and if i finish it and decide i want more fire emblem um then i can move on to conquest how was it going back to your new 3ds and not bad i still i've got that bummer of a um d-pad that uh it just doesn't it, i had to like really jam on it for it to register um but it's it's fine there is something i do like about just folding that thing up and throwing it in my bag like it's so much more 
the Switch is portable, like for sure, but like it's not portable like the 3DS is. I think like it can be more careless with the 3DS. Absolutely. Where I'm yeah. just like clamshell it and then just like toss it on the couch. Oh, yeah. Which is something I would never do with uh, the Switch. Right. I mean, first of all, it doesn't close. <laughs> Great point. Um, full of a mark. Let's get into the news. Speaking of Fire Emblem, during mm. the April Nintendo Direct, Nintendo teased that there would be DLC available for Fire Emblem Shadows of Valentia. Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia, right? I don't know. I, th- I think it is. I think it's. I think Fire Emblem Echoes colon. Is, put, is potential like branding for future Fire, you know, sort of thing. Got so like, see, it, w- it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that's what it is. I don't know. Um. Anyways, they said that DLC was uh. They kind of hinted the DLC would be available for it. And last week, that DLC was detailed. So packs can be purchased as part of a $45 season pass. Or you can purchase them separately, which is different from something like the Mario Kart 8 DLC or the Breath of the Wild, Breath of the Wild DLC, where it's like all or nothing. Of course, this is more expensive. Right. Well, that is notable. Notable that the DLC is more expensive than the game itself, which as a 3DS game is coming in at $39.99. Um, I've seen some, like, I think people are upset about this price tag. Um, and like, I guess I sort of get it, but I'm also like, then don't buy it. Like, don't buy the DLC. I don't know. What, 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 what's your take on that? Like, do you ever get like angry about there being a bunch of DLC associated with a game or? Uh, I feel like if the base game is in my estimation worth the asking price yeah. then it doesn't bother me if there's dlc content mm-hmm. um especially for a game like this where it's not like online play will be affected because it's not like i'm missing out on maps that other people will be able to sure you know like it's like like destiny for example i can understand even though that's more of a service than a game uh i feel like that aspect of it has become more apparent over time and when it first came out people's expectations for the expansions were not calibrated like they are now where we're like oh this is a service that i'm buying into right uh and so there were like anyways all this all this is to say like uh the star wars battlefront game that came out yeah last year two years ago at this point pretty slim when it came out yeah and then they added stuff but it, if you didn't have the season pass you couldn't play it online so yeah it's like, so the base weird game. for an online thing like that so something like this it doesn't really bother me especially when it's available piecemeal so it's because a lot of time there's dlc that i i'm interested in but i wouldn't pay the whole 30 dollars or whatever because there's stuff i don't care about right well and you know it's it's uh it, you're obviously getting a, a price break if you buy the the whole season pass if you get it all separately it's like 53 dollars uh something like that we don't we don't need to go through what each of the packs is but like they're all you know um very detailed in in what they are like nintendo's letting you know what all of the the packs are and it's all you know different quests and characters and stuff like that um it should be noted that the game also has amiibo support um so if you want to um do whatever the amiibo do in this game, which maybe we should have looked up. <laughs> maybe we don't know what it is yet. Uh, that'll we'll debug that next week. Um, 
that yeah that that's another thing that you need to uh another place you need to spend some money so you bought the mario kart dlc yes all of it yeah and you bought or it, it sounds like we will probably both end up buying the zelda breath of the wild dlc yep have you in your gaming experience in general purchased a lot of dlc uh that's interesting um I mean, at at some point, you have to like ask like what qualifies as DLC. Like, uh, um, and actually, now that I'm thinking about, because I was gonna bring up those like little standalone experiences, like the um, uh, the infamous two Festival of Blood. Um, I I downloaded that. Uh, I purchased that and played it. It's like a, a standalone, um, like kind of micro uh, infamous game. Um, and you know something like uh the last of us well i forget what that that dlc campaign again it, it's it's a standalone thing um so i i think i i end up going more for like those kinds of experiences because so much dlc for me just ends up being like more challenge maps or whatever um so i guess i guess i don't buy too much um with the notable exceptions of uh zelda mario kart and like over half the amiibos yeah i i feel like uh dlc like everything else is totally um a lot of times companies like cheap out yeah you know and they're it it is just like challenge maps or here's some like throwaway thing that doesn't really feel worth it yeah i mean there's the, there's an example that I keep thinking of that is the uh, Arkham Asylum stuff, um, Arkham and Arkham City, where like I I genuinely like those challenge room parts of the game, but I don't need more of it. You know, like the amount that's in there is sufficient for me to like get my fill of beating up random guys, um, and yeah. So so like I guess uh, the there was like Catwoman DLC for one of those games. Um, where she got like a little story, so I guess I guess I bought that. I guess I did buy that. Um, or it, DLC characters in fighting games, I'll buy those. Um, yeah, like, do people give Mortal Kombat crap for? Because the new the new Injustice game has they just announced like three uh, DLC characters, and there are going to be six more announced before the game launches, and like that's nine. <laughs> extra characters that you have to pay more for and i don't know that like anyone's like mad about i don't know expectations I, I think are so weird yeah we're just i think we're just used to it now yeah like dlc has gone from something in you know the past i would argue five years maybe even less something that we knew was coming um for like every big game yeah and would kind of grumble about each time and now it's just assumed that something's going to have a season pass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like the uh, argument just always comes down to, is it worth the money or is it not? Yeah. And um, I'm not a fan of season passes Mm -hmm. um, in general, because I'm not like, there's a lot of DLC content I don't want. And yeah, you're getting into pain for something you don't want to use. Yeah. And season pass feels like a way for me or, feels to me like a way for companies to like bundle in one thing that people want right with a lot of stuff that people don't care about 
Which or is that, so weird. Like, why even put those things in the season pass? I think that it's like perceived value. Yeah. So I think I would be annoyed more with uh, the Fire Emblems, Fire Emblem Echo Shadows of Valentia DLC if it were, if it was just like 45 bucks, take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, you know, if you want to throw down $8 for one pack or $10 for a different pack and you can determine what's worth it to you. Yeah. I, I, that seems totally fair. Yeah. It, it seems totally fair to me too. And also like if you compare it to, we were just talking about Fire Emblem Fates. If you want the whole Fire Emblem Fates experience, you're spending $80. So like, this is what Fire Emblem is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not new. Uh, the online, the original Splatoon had map rotation for online play. Mm-hmm. So what that meant is that every four hours, they would um, there were two maps available, and every four hours they would change up. This is what in, those two maps were. This is in each game mode. There in were two, each game two maps available. Oh, okay, and they weren't they weren't always the same two, um, or sometimes there would be one overlap. This is obviously different from most online games where mm-hmm. like all maps are available and there's either a voting system or it's just r- completely random. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I've never really understood why they do it with Splatoon. Yeah. Uh, you played a lot more of the original Splatoon on Wii U. Did it ever bother you or is it something that um, you were fine with? Uh, no, I, I, I think I'm, I, I, I was fine with it. Um, there's... I feel like when when you're playing um, online shooters that you, you frequently get like funneled into like the two or three maps that work anyway, you know, that like the only two or three maps that people actually want to play. Um, and there was that was like a nice novel thing about Splatoon is that when there was a new piece of content, um, first of all, everyone got it right away uh, for free. And, um, you know, it, the game would sort of like force you into these positions where you needed to play on that map. Um, so I don't know. There, there's something about like the game sort of giving you a tour of itself that I, I felt like it like it worked for me. Yeah. So in an interview with Edge Magazine, one of the producers of Splatoon 2 said that quote We feel that part of the gameplay is actually selecting which weapons would be best for that combination of two maps. Oh, cool. Okay. So uh, it doesn't seem to be like a technical limitation of any kind. It's a gameplay choice. Sure. Well, and I mean also like it is. I guess for better or worse, something that sets it apart from uh, other online experiences that like, you know, you're getting for it for the next two hours, you and everyone else playing are going to have the same basic choices of, of what to play. Well, and you said every two hours, and that's actually what this new news item is. Yes. Is that on, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's that on Splatoon, um, it, the original, it was four hours between rotations. And even though they're keeping the map rotation thing intact, they're reducing the time to two hours. So every two hours, the maps will change in Splatoon 2. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think that's appropriate. Also in Edge, uh, ARMS is the magazine's cover article for the most current issue. And uh, we are hearing, I think for the first time, what the game will play like without motion controls. All right. Uh, so using one Joy-Con, uh, punches can be thrown using the triggers or two of the, th- or two of the face buttons. Jump and dash are mapped on to the other two. Okay. You click the left stick to guard. Um, but since the left stick controls the angle of your punches, you can't move in one direction and punch in the other, and you can't strike at a different angle with your other hand until the first punch is fully extended either. So that's just for one. 
Joy-Con. I I guess we still don't know if the Pro Controller is supported or if the Joy-Con grip is supported. I assume it is, but we don't know what controls are like for those. Right. Well, and uh, is this thing playable in handheld mode? I I assume it would have to be. Right. So this must be for, like, two-player, multiplayer. Sure. Um, to like, split, couch co-op or something. The, the Joy-Cons, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... A lot of questions about the way ARMS is going to play. Nothing about this game moves me. Nothing? <laughs> Not, um, I guess the fact that it's developed by the Mario Kart team. Sure. But other than that... Well, look. Mark and I are going to get a... We're going to get our hands on this game, and we're going to play it. Um, we're going to get our arms on this game? I don't like that at all. <laughs> So at a conference in Japan, Epic Games Japan representatives talked about their support for Unreal Engine 4 on the Nintendo Switch. Mm. So the, uh, the Switch is the first time that Unreal Engine is officially supported on a Nintendo console. Um, Epic wasn't able to begin negotiations with Nintendo until they formed Epic Games Japan in 2009. Jeez. That's late. I think it just like goes to show. And so when the Wii U was launching, Epic was ending support for Unreal Engine 3. So if you'd ever needed proof that Nintendo was a Japanese focused company, right? Or a Japan focused company, it's like Epic Games, the maker of one of the most like widely used middleware engines right that you'll see at the beginning of every non-nintendo game you play you'll see their little splash screen come up they couldn't really talk to nintendo about getting about supporting their consoles until they opened a japanese office uh okay so nintendo is still obviously a very japanese company focused on the japanese market um does this mean what does this mean? Like, does it mean that Nintendo's more willing to play ball with like the tools that everyone else needs or uh I mean, I think it's I think it's really great that Unreal Engine is supported. Mm-hmm. Um the way that they explained it is that like uh there's like a new version of like a new like like point one nine or whatever version of the engine coming out. And when it does there will be just like you'll just have to push a button and it'll compile it for Switch and you'll still have to like optimize and everything. Sure. It'll obviously make porting games very easy. Um I think the bigger thing to me is it's like, yeah, if you're an indie developer in the West, good luck getting attention from Nintendo. Because obviously, unless you Right. Even yeah. something as big as Epic can't court them from the west yeah and it seems like uh, nintendo of america and nintendo of europe have only so much um sway yeah right (laughs) yeah so i don't know i it kind of boggles my mind that uh it that epic games had to open a (laughs) A studio in Japan. japan in order for them to be able to talk with nintendo (laughs) Mm. <laughs> like i really uh, no it's it's <laughs> it's dumb and weird but like what are you gonna do that's nintendo uh another tease about retro about what retro has been working on all this time retro uh, composer alexander brandon has revealed that he's working with retro studios saying in facebook posts that quote the work is incredibly exciting and the team is awesome 
<laughs> okay, so what is <laughs> what does that rule out? Uh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, bad games, I right. guess, right? Retro's not making the Nintendogs, I yeah. guess, is what we're saying. Um, so uh, Brandon has contributed to like a bunch of different franchises and games. He previously worked on Thief, Dark Shadows, Neverwinter Nights 2, um, The Torment Tides of Numeria, Numenera, which I think is the that like recent um what planet planscape torment oh um like spiritual sequel that came out so what can we glean from that so like that's all kind of like darker more cinematic stuff yeah a lot of it's with like some sort of like sci-fi bent right so does does that have everyone saying gotta be a metroid well, so the other big rumor that I didn't write down, but that's kind of come out in the last few days, is that uh, a European studio is working on a ret- uh, Metroid game, specifically Climax Studios, Okay. Um, who I believe did Silent Hill Shattered Memories, amongst okay. other stuff, okay. but, the, but that they are doing... Uh, but it's possible that they're just doing like support work and mm-hmm. the bulk of it is being developed somewhere. It's everybody seems to be saying that a new Metroid game is in production. Just nobody knows where it's coming from and nobody knows if Retro's involved. This is also something that everyone says all the time. <laughs> like yeah, that there's but a, I, a new Metroid in the that's, works. Somewhere. That's true, but I think there's enough smoke here that there's actual There's actually a fire. Yeah. Um, let's play a quick game here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a like dark sci-fi Nintendo game. It is not Metroid. What is it? Uh, if I were betting, I would say a new IP. New IP. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, would love to see a a, a cool F Zero game. Yeah. Um. It'd be weird for Retro to be doing it, I feel like. Yeah, maybe. I feel like that w- you should, would give that to like Monster Games, who did Excite Truck and stuff. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Retro, I don't know. It's so weird. Like They've been on Donkey Kong duty for so long now. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know what kind of studio it is because, uh, you know, everybody who made, most of the people who made Metroid are long gone. Mm-hmm. Do we even need another Metroid Prime? I don't. I I don't know. I mean, right now the the series is like half good games and half bad games, right? Um, the like Hunters on the on the DS, uh, Pinball, and this Galactic Federation one all kind of like sour the legacy of of that series. I don't know. I think there's a way to do a another Metroid game without making it a Prime game. Yeah, I I I would like to see, and I know this is kind of like fan wink in a little bit in a in a way but i'd like to see a return to 2d metroid yeah and i think it'd be cool to see that on the switch so i don't know e3 will be interesting i don't even when you even think about it where if there is a metroid game and even if there is a retro game well obviously we know retro is working on something but i'm guessing both those would be 2018 titles because i think that's fine where on the release (laughs) calendar can you put a game like that this year uh yeah there really isn't a space but like 2018 is something that we don't know about at all yeah for for the switch yeah other than fire emblem but oh yeah that's right so but do you even announce it this year if that's the case i don't know right maybe like i I think people need to because the the sooner we 
I guess Nintendo ha- I'm interrupting myself so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo has so many different opportunities to announce stuff. They don't need to wait for uh, a, a conference or an E3 or whatever. They can just do a direct and they can announce it the day before and it's fine. Yeah, if somebody was... I totally agree if somebody was asking my advice on e3 which nobody is i would say lower your expectations (laughs) do not get yourself type up hyped up because nintendo always has in the past recent memory nintendo has had weird e3s where everybody's like what that's it and then like there's game announcements just made it's like it's like the switch reveal where there was like the switch reveal and people were like Huh. huh. And then there was a bunch of interviews afterwards where like drips and drops of news came out and they're like, wait, that's a thing that's happening and what's going on? Why isn't there a centralized message? And I feel like that's what E3 has been. Right. Where we'll be like, okay. But and then afterwards we'll probably hear about some stuff that we're like, how come that wasn't in the main conference? Then stuff some stuff won't be talked about at all. And then in September we'll get a weird direct where You know, they announced a game for, like, 2019, and we're like, what's going on? Well, and, like, also the things that we can get excited about end up not being, you know, end up, like, not bearing out that excitement. Like, I I remember there was uh, the, uh, maybe 2007, I don't don't remember the year, but the year that they announced uh, that Team Ninja was working on a Metroid game and the Vitality Sensor in the same conference, and... (laughs) <laughs> like that's that's like gamer fan whiplash of being like oh my god what a cool sounding game to like what is this thing that you clip on your pants and now we know that we shouldn't have been excited about other m in the first place or re- remember when uh the before it was known as whatever name it ended up known as but like the fire emblem and uh shimigami tensei yeah 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 crossover that like was announced with just some weird like nebulous logo tokyo and then... mirage sessions sharp fe yeah what it's called <laughs> that's right that's what it ended up being mm-hmm. but for years it was announced and then we heard nothing about it and it would just show up in like nintendo financial reports with a tbd release date and uh fans of both franchises were so hyped up and then that game was it like revealed released with like nobody cared right no fanfare and like no explanation as to what it is because like those series are pretty different and like they're not the same type of game anyway <laughs> so yeah we, yeah <laughs> B- lower your expectations lower your expectations <laughs> don't expect to see retro's game that's right um but all that being said yeah let's get the hype back up now <laughs> <laughs> One thing it seems like we should expect is that crazy Mario and Ubisoft's Rabbids yeah. mashup game that we were hearing rumors about before the Switch reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kotaku wrote an article about it, uh, kind of basically laying it out, laying out what it is. Uh, the name that it's going by seems to be Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. By Ridley Scott. <laughs> said to be released on the Switch either August or September. It's being developed by Ubisoft with uh, the Snowdrop engine, which is the engine that they're using on all their current-gen games. And based on a Kotaku's report, the game features turn-based combat, two-player local co-op, and a, quote, goofy sense of humor. Oh, no. Playable characters include Mario, Luigi, Yoshi, Peach, and four rabbits dre- dressed up as those characters. Um, They talk about 
there's like a particular piece of art that features Mario and crew wielding guns that shoot laser beams. Um, so th- this game is real. Okay. <laughs> and lasers? <laughs> I mean, so even though it's being developed by Ubisoft, it seems like the sort of thing that Nintendo isn't going to be like hands off about. Sure. So I trust Nintendo more than mm. I trust Ubisoft, but I so I trust Nintendo to at least. I mean, this will be kind of other than Mario. I guess other than Mario Kart, but like the first Mario, Mario game, game yeah. that shows up on the Switch. So I don't think they're it's going to be bad, but I do think it'll kind of defy all of our expectations and maybe all reason. I mean, it sounds weird, Mark. <laughs> it sounds yeah, it sounds weird. Um. I don't love rabbits. I don't love rabbits either, but uh, I, I like even less that it's four rabbits dressed up like four Nintendo characters. That seems even weirder to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to see it in action. Um, I do want to note that even though the, art, the article's in Kotaku this week, this game's been, I mean, we've mentioned it on this show, this game's mm-hmm. been out there for a long time. People like Laura K. Dale and Emily Rogers have been talking and writing about this game since, like, November. Yeah, a, l- a good long time. Um, didn't Emily Rogers just, uh, like, hang up the old reporting on games shoes? Hanging up her shoes to, like, go into actual game development? Oh, I don't know. I saw something like that on Twitter. Now I may just be... <laughs> this is Patrick half-remembering something he read on, on, on Twitter. So I'm not going to debug that next week if it's not accurate. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's one thing we is pretty much guaranteed to be at E3, the Rabbids game. Yeah. Uh, do you think that makes it out this year? Yeah, the rumor is August or September. All right, which well. seems to fit in with the like release schedule that we know for this year. Yeah, because Splatoon is July, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Need need something in August or yeah. September. Uh, great. Well, let's get into the new releases for this week. So NBA Playgrounds, which is the NBA Jam-esque game, mm-hmm. comes out today. Uh, on the Switch, it won't have online play at launch, um, but an update will happen a few days after release. A lot of these games coming out not quite done. Yeah. Well, so this game in particular, I was watching some uh, gameplay video of it, and it just doesn't look that hot in general. And I think part of that is some of the fun of NBA Jam. Like, NBA Jam is slight, right? It's really yeah. shallow. It's mm-hmm. really just, like, a way to eat two or three of your quarters and then waste five minutes, right? Like, it doesn't yeah. have a lot of longevity or a lot of... Right, or even, like, like a lot of strategy. strategy. Yes. And, I mean, you know, because the game, the original NBA Jam, had, like, the worst rubber band AI ever. Like, you could be up by... 10 and then in the last like 12 seconds the game is like nope now we're geniuses and so i think that's kind of the problem that the nba jam revival that ea tried Mm -hmm. to do a few years ago never really took off because after you play it for like the fun of nba jam is the nostalgia yeah right playing Mm -hmm. it as like the 93 chicago bulls you know yeah uh, bill clinton yeah you know like that playing as the charlotte hornet yeah (laughs) Like that, like that kind of stuff, and so I, I don't really know anyway. And the actual game itself does not look that hot on Switch. Yeah, so kind of a bummer. But 
I think it's just an idea that doesn't really hold up well in modern gaming. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it could. I think if there's a way to make the moment-to-moment gameplay fun, then it wouldn't matter. Um, then nothing else really matters, right? Like, if it's a pick-up-and-play two-on-two basketball game where it's fun to play, then, you know, that's it. That's all it needs to be. The Neo Geo game of the week is, I think it's Garou. Garou, Mark, Mark of, of the, the Wolves. Um, I'm excited to play this one. This is a game I've never played before, but have only ever read great things it's about. It's a fighting game, right? It is, because that's most of what's on Neo Geo. <laughs> <laughs> um, there uh, is also... Um, there, there, uh, who, who is it that Hori is developing a uh, fight stick for the Nintendo Switch that was confirmed earlier this week? Um, no date on it yet, um, but that thing is going to get uh, a lot of use just on Neo Geo games because um, so many of the, the games that have already come to the system are fighting games, and so many more uh, that will be coming are fighting games. Like, I, I'll probably get it to play street fighter um but there's this whole other like back catalog of like awesome fighting games uh that almost require that stick and and button setup are those is it gonna be bluetooth i don't know uh it's there aren't a whole lot of details about it yet um but i'm i'm excited for it like that's that's the kind of hardware that makes like that can transform it into from like a you know, this is sort of a fighting game experience. So like, this is the real deal. Also, Pocket Rumble. I'm going to use it for Pocket Rumble. Whenever that comes Whenever out. Whenever it comes Any out. Any day now, Pocket Rumble. Uh, Garou comes out on May 11th, so this Thursday. Mark of the Wolf! And just uh, of note that these Neo Geo games have sold over 200,000 copies collectively on Switch. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. That's yep. like getting up there with uh, Snipper Clips numbers. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, there are a lot of them. Yeah. There's just one Snipper Clips. <laughs> uh, and, and there are, like, three Samurai Showdown games on there, so. And probably the big release of the week and definitely of the month on the Switch is Minecraft Nintendo Switch Edition comes out on the 11th this Thursday as well. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, I think it is one of those games that has that is, like, on every system. And if right. you are... um somebody who really likes minecraft then it, i don't know that's a system seller but it's a, a just another reason for like you expect it to be on yeah. your console yeah it's, um, it's a box that you have to check i am over the age of 12 so i don't really understand the appeal of minecraft burn 13 year olds who are still playing <laughs> minecraft <laughs> that's right i'm putting down 13 year olds who play minecraft and i'm not afraid of it Come at me, 13-year-olds. No, please don't dox me. <laughs> oh, man, that would be scary. Taking on the 13-year-olds on the internet? Yeah, no thank you. Uh, so th- this does nothing for you. I, I mean, I will fully admit, I just don't understand Minecraft. Like, yeah. it's not a Minecraft problem, it's a me problem. <laughs> it's my baggage. I just don't get it. I think it's ugly and boring. Well, there you have it. Your favorite game is ugly and boring. <laughs> Mark, let's move out of the news. Now it's time for a regular segment on our show. It is time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. 
So for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Um, I think there's a little bit of chatter at the beginning of this recording, so... Okay. All right, uh, we're trying to record it, so if you guys can keep it... Okay. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. All right, all let's right. just talk over this. Okay, all right. Uh, so, what are we talking about today? For cereal. Fun? We're talking not about... Not the podcast. Cereal, not the podcast. So, breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not much of a cereal eater now. Are you a cereal eater now? Yeah. Do you eat it every morning? No, but I, uh, no, but I eat it fairly regularly. Like, yesterday, I bought two boxes. Right. <laughs> of Captain Crunch and then uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. So, going for, like, a sugary cereal mm-hmm. with the Captain Crunch. Yep. Wait, what is Captain Crunch? Yes, okay, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't allowed sugar cereals at all when I was a kid. We were allowed it. We could have uh, two bowls on <laughs> Saturday, on the weekends. Right. But during the week, we weren't allowed to have it. Although we were, like, we could put sugar on our cereal. Right. But we couldn't have, like, sh- like fruit loops but we could take cheerios and, and just like put, put sugar, sugar on it sure it was a loose system i mean it's probably still less sugar if you're doing that right because like a no, lot no, of no, you that, could be pretty generous well, of course you that. could be yeah <laughs> um what what uh what were your go-tos as a kid then when you weren't allowed when you like during the week and you weren't allowed the sugar cereal um when we could get our hands on it berry berry kicks yeah, because that straddled the line between what we called sweet cereal and not sweet cereal. It's, uh, by the way, spoiler: it's all sweet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it all has too much sugar in it. Um, but so you don't eat very much anymore. No, I mean we've got a box of Honey Nut Cheerios in the house right now, mm-hmm. um, and it is because that is the almost literally the only cereal Sarah will eat. Um, and last time she went grocery shopping, she wanted it and bought it. Um, so now it's in the house. Uh, I won't eat any of it. Um, I need something more substantial now in in the mornings. Um, And especially now that I don't eat meat, I like if I can start the day with some kind of protein, um, like eggs, that's what I prefer to do. It's weird that we accept cereal as food stuffs because it's barely food. And I never even really thought about it until my... um, uh, boyfriend is from China and cereal isn't like really a thing there. Right. Uh, and so when he was explaining to me how disgusting cereal is, yeah, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you're right. It is really gross. It's just processed corn or wheat and sugar. Yeah. <laughs> so much sugar. But yeah, I mean, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be eating it. We shouldn't be like training children that like this is a, a productive way to start your day. Yeah, part of a balanced diet. Part of any time, any time that a cereal is part of a balanced breakfast, you gotta like zoom out to see the plate of bacon and like a grapefruit <laughs> and a glass of orange juice. <laughs> like it's just, it's just not food. It's a weird snack that we. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think we should be thinking about cereal as though it's like dessert. I mean, or, I also don't like think an ice cream topping. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to be really eating that much dairy either. No. So it's just like sugar and dairy. Yeah, because you got to pour milk on it. Yeah. Which otherwise also, it's like almost unedible. Yeah. Um, that's weird, right? That like, I can't think of another food that we put in a bowl and then pour a liquid over. 
I mean, it's not soup. <laughs> Look, I mean, and I'm bagging on cereal, but I I eat it regularly. So it's not like I, it's not like I'm like looking down for my ivory cerealist tower. Um, but so like with Captain Crunch mm-hmm. or Captain, there's no T in it. Right. Uh, with Captain Crunch, you have to. It's this fine balance between. Um, is soggy Captain Crunch is really gross. Right. But if if you don't put if you don't like water it down at all, if you don't put milk on it at all, it's so rough that it like cuts cut up your, your mouth. mouth. Yeah. But doesn't that tell you something though? That like this thing will cut your mouth. But it tastes delicious. It's like golden sugar. I know, but it you could just eat golden sugar. I can't believe I. Uh, we have tons of health problems in this country, right? I can't believe that we don't have more. Like with the amount of sh- like sugary cereal and soda that we drink. And the fact that Starbucks is just like a weird milk and sugar delivery vehicle. All right, we're to count that as the end. <laughs> they don't, they don't get any applause at the end of this thing. <laughs> it's, it's a live recording, and there's an audience there. They do not get applause. Uh, we were uh, accompanied today by Andy Jones and Christopher McCastle. Um, we'll never know how your um, health rant, how your. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we'll your ne- solution for America's health problems was going to end. It was a really good elegant. <laughs> we'll never elegant, know. So yeah. We'll never know. Uh, let's move out of the segment. <laughs> so we wanted to try something new here, right? Um, yeah, we're on in uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. Dangerous. And you're along with us. Yeah. Normally, I say it's now dangerous. you're accomplices. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your hands are as dirty as ours. <laughs> we and we did this a little bit today. We were talking about um, studios that are either owned by or closely associated with Nintendo, um, and it, it kind of occurred to us that you know maybe we're talking about these things and not everyone uh, knows the studios in, involved in this um, and like what kind of history they have. So we're starting a series today uh, wherein we're exploring what these studios are and what we maybe expect from them in the future or what our experiences with them are. And we're starting with Good Feel. Mm-hmm. Um, Good Feel most recently uh, put out <clears throat> the Poochie and Yoshi's Woolly World on the 3DS. Um, and uh, can, do we want to like hit their like big tent, tentpole titles first? Or h- how do you want to approach this, Mark? Yeah, let's uh we can talk about what people might know them from. Sure. So like the 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 biggest pillars uh in the last like decade from these guys. They it's a pretty young studio. I mean, they've only been around since 2005. Right. And uh relatively small studio, right? You have uh less than according to their official website, less than 100 develop like a hundred employees so not just developers a hundred employees total. Right. And their their first like big Nintendo game was Wario Land Shake It. On the Wii. Also known as the Shake Dimension that's in right. Europe. Um, and so uh, that, that's one of like their, their big pillars. The other two are, like I said, uh, Wooly World and the uh, Kirby Epic Yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's talk about what those, like, what those three games are and like, what they have in common and what we think that means for them as like a developer, as like part of the Nintendo staple, right? Um, one thing that, so the, the, these are all platformers, right? Um, and they are all based on existing, uh, Nintendo properties and they're all sort of like 
none of them are reinventing the way that series works, right? They're all effectively competent entries in the those specific franchises with um, either a unique or striking visual style. And obviously, like Kirby and um, Yoshi both got the same like yarn treatment. Um, but I think you can sort of trace that back to um, Wario Land, which isn't it, it's not yarn in any way, but it does have these like really gorgeous, precise, uh, hand-drawn um, like animation frames um, and a- big animated cutscenes that uh, were produced by um, a Japanese animation studio called um, Product IG or Production IG, some- something along those lines. Um, and it being a very striking visual experience on top of kind of a regurgitated gameplay mechanic. Um, so I, I think that's what we should expect of them going forward, right? Or that at least seems to be what Nintendo goes to them for. Sure. Uh, and it started with, so Good Feel uh, was started by a Japanese developer who used to work for Konami, mm-hmm. left Konami to make his own studio. Etsunobu Ibisu. Mm-hmm. And, uh like a very small studio to start out with mm-hmm. and they were mostly making they were making educational software for the Nintendo DS cuz the DS was a huge you know like blue ocean product it was being used for lots of stuff brain training all that kind of thing mm-hmm. stuff and um so they were just making small titles like training words training quiz for companies like educational network inc so you know these this was not like a huge large developer um, interestingly, all of their console releases have been on Nintendo hardware, either, either the DS, the Wii, the 3DS, or the Wii U, and presumably in the future, the Switch. Um, but they've also done like a few like Facebook or mobile games. Right. Uh, and so they were working on these educational titles and a, uh, Nintendo producer or a longtime Nintendo employee name let me get his name here and butcher it um takahiro harada Mm -hmm. uh harada well you know i'm yeah right you took a stab at (laughs) it i took a stab at it you took two stabs at it one of those is maybe close (laughs) um one of those is less wrong than the other one (laughs) so he was looking uh he, he had been interested in a while for making a new uh, Wario Land game, mm-hmm. and he was playing a Konami platformer on the Nintendo DS and was impressed by it. So we did a little bit of research and found that um, Ibisu mm-hmm. had was had worked on it, and so they got it. He got in contact with Ibisu, um, who explained, "Hey, I have this like new company, and um, that's how Goodfield got." WarioWare or Wario Land Shake It. Right. And ha- which has led to them working on uh, those three games and then also like smaller projects and working as a support studio for mm-hmm. Nintendo. Uh, in interviews about uh, Wario Land Shake It, uh, Ibisu had, um, he shows a lot of reverence for the Wario Land series that like the first thing he did was have um, his studio, everyone, you know, working on the, the new game 
play all the old ones and try to you know find a way to replicate those experiences and like really get to the core of what wario land um gameplay experience is like and i think that i i haven't read uh interviews about um epic yarn or woolly world but those seem to carry that same quality forward right of like distilling what a game's um what's fun about a game or like how a game works and then just representing that well one of the things that's interesting about shake it if you've never played it or aren't familiar with wario land in general is it's not uh, like a mario style platformer where the goal is to get from one side to the other right um end of story uh you like explore the level they're very vertical there's a lot of verticality in them mm-hmm. and then in shake it you are trying to find like treasure and uh, you reach a certain point, which is like the quote-unquote end of the level. Right. And it triggers this like countdown or you have to race back to the beginning. And Wario starts to like run. He starts to book it. Um, and so you're kind of going backwards through the whole level, um, getting very quickly whatever like treasures you missed or like taking paths that are now open to you that you've like triggered this countdown. Um, and so it was a cool way to like use the same space in two different ways. Um, and yeah, so that, that, that's like the gist of that game, but there's also, um, and this is something that is kind of carried through all three of these, uh, big games that we're talking about, um, a sense of like invulnerability, um, Wario is frequently not hurt, right? Um, when he catches fire, when something, someone starts him on fire he that's like a tool that he uses to start something else on fire um like wario doesn't die a lot of the enemies don't hurt him at all um there are no lives in any of these games right like um and they're all easy games to get through but uh, harder games to get everything um or like collect everything so like if if there's a like common thread between all of these games it's that there's more of a focus on experiencing them in their entirety. Like, that's where the challenge comes from instead of just getting to the end. And uh, Epic Yarn, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you've played more of both these games than I yeah. have, but Epic Yarn and Woolly World, they share, uh, like, the similar sensibility where, again, it's not about traversing a level necessarily. Yeah. You know, it's not, like, it's not scrolling from left to right. It, there's much more vertical. It's about, like, exploring... A level as a whole yeah well and i think that that is true also just of yoshi games in general that like that's what yoshi's island and um yoshi's story that's what those games kind of are anyway um and so i i think that uh yoshi plus good feel is maybe one of the the best just like fits of like they were already doing what yoshi was doing or yoshi had was already doing what they were doing um so like that's a very good Yoshi game. Um it's a little bit of a weirder fit for Kirby, but like Kirby's got such a weird identity anyway. Um that like Yeah, Kirby's like Mario. You can kind of put him in any game. You can kind of put him in any game, but like I don't know, there there's something about like Kirby's always going to I guess not always, but frequently he's going to scroll from left to right. He's going to gain the powers of the um enemies that he swallows and you're going through 
doors and it like it looks like there's exploration but it's not really exploration you know like you're not going into dead ends and like finding weird little corners of the map you're kind of just traversing um so like yeah i i don't i don't really know what like i i can yes yoshi is about um collection and exploration and platforming i don't know what i would say kirby i don't know what the core mechanic of a kirby game is um but the uh but uh wario land is a lot more of um like platforming and, and collecting stuff um with the sort of added extra thing of being fired backwards through the level and having to it becomes like sonic the hedgehog in that moment um but even better because like it's you're familiar with the terrain because you just traveled through it in one direction um I don't know. It's 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 very. It trains you how to use that space. I like that game. I like that game a lot. Wario Land, shake it. Uh, do you think it is it the best of the three? Um, like games in those style. Of of these three games that we're talking about from from Goodfield, mm-hmm. probably. Um, although I I do like Yoshi a lot. Um, I I think they did a lot more with the yarn aesthetic in that game than they did in uh epic yarn do you think that's just a benefit of being on stronger hardware no hd hardware i don't think so because the uh the way that the the yarn characters are presented in kirby they're just like the outline is a string of yarn and in uh yoshi everyone is like a a 3d shape of you know like their their models are like this is what a crocheted yoshi would look like in 3d space um which is just a more compelling design than just like a string you know creating the abstract outline of a character so one of the things when you uh introduced this idea of doing episodes on these like smaller maybe lesser known Mm -hmm. third-party studios is um like i'm fascinated by this idea of Again, yeah, like a studio who is aligned so closely with Nintendo mm-hmm. and who the majority of their projects, the majority of probably their projects that like keep the studio afloat are exclusively Nintendo projects. Yeah. But they are not owned by Nintendo. Right. It's like a symbiotic relationship. Like they're just closely aligned with it. Right. And then they get to use Nintendo IP or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they become almost like a farm team. You know, yeah. where it's like Nintendo sets out because they, you know, will do mini games here and there. Like they've done some street, some of those street pass games like slot, slot car racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they in for We Play Motion, they did like two of the mini games, like things like that. Right. Well, and even in um one of the uh, Mario and Luigi, uh, the Dream, what, Dream, Dream Team, Team. Um, they provided some support on that, too. Um, so like. They they're obviously working on their own things, but um, you know, being called up for uh, mini game production or even for working on specific parts of um, like main Nintendo titles, it's yeah, it's it's just it's interesting to to consider like all of these relationships that uh, a company like Nintendo has, um, and like. Like, is it a is it a first party game? Like, how 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 do you how do you classify it like that it's just one of these uh studios that is so close to nintendo without being nintendo 
I feel like since the game industry in the past 10 years has gone through this um, round of consolidation mm-hmm. and uh, large game companies like Activision swallowing up like Bungie Hole, you know, like that yeah. kind of stuff, that we don't really have this idea of second party studios yeah, as much sure. anymore. But I feel like that was a term that was thrown around a lot. It's a term that I've never really understood because it doesn't right. actually make sense in what a like second person you know right, like actually right, right. is but it's like that middle ground i mean third it, party to third person that also doesn't yeah that's <laughs> right. true that's true i mean if it was if that were the case a second party studio would be you develop the game <laughs> yeah and i think i guess that's where the uh that's where the language fails from. us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where the language fails us. Well, language is a living thing, so we, words can mean whatever we want them to. That's right. <laughs> um, but I, I think, uh, isn't second-party studios uh, or second-party games, ge- aren't those generally uh, a third party that is published by the first party? Yes. Or, like, they're, yeah, so, like, they're not owned by but are closely aligned so i guess like good feel in that case would because good feel theoretically can do whatever they want right like nintendo i don't think owns any controlling stake in it so or like any shares at all so if they wanted to develop for um sony or microsoft they 100 percent could right but it seems like they're uh so i guess they would fit the definition of a second party studio like one who is not obligated to to the extent that we've defined them so far yeah (laughs) which is to say that we determined their the titles be meaningless (laughs) uh how how do you feel about these guys mark i i I get the sense that you're not the biggest fan of uh that kirby game yeah i i'm not the biggest fan i i think all of their games are like really well produced yeah absolutely like war like wario land shake it with the hand-drawn animation you don't see that like, yeah we definitely uh, don't and i'm i'm sure a lot of that is because uh it would take it takes a lot of work and if you were to and if you make changes you have to redraw everything yeah you can't just like uh remodel it and render it like it has to all be painstakingly hand-drawn um, and that was the most exciting thing to me about Shake It when it was revealed. And I picked it up and I picked up Epic Yarn as well. I, Goodfield games are, I, I just don't, and it's not these games in particular. It's just that that form of platforming doesn't really appeal to me. Sure. Um, like I like the get to from point A to point B. Right, without having to like fuss over all the little things in between. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was living with a completionist when uh I got Wario Land Shake It, and uh it was like simultaneously perfect and the worst <laughs> because he was like obsessed with getting everything in all those levels. We could not move on until, and he wasn't even playing. The controller was in my hand the whole time, and he was like, we're going back in. Well, I, I kind of, but that is in some ways like the, I mean, it would be irritating. It would drive me crazy because that's not how I play games. Right, but that's how that game should be played. Yeah, like, because the actual platform in any of these games is not particularly interesting. Sure. I mean, you, I, like I, the, the I challenge do... is not like, the platforming aspects the challenge is the exploration and trying to get everything see this is why i think that uh the 
uh, Wario game is the is the best of them because the back half of each of those levels is like a challenging platforming section. Like it actually does challenge your reflexes, and it feels like a fun, fast action platformer. But that's only in the second half of each of the levels. The first half is very much getting to every single corner and finding everything. Um, and that sort of that balance is not present in the other two games. So you you generally come down on the side of uh, don't much care for for the good feels. Yeah. It, um. Yeah, I think I, but I don't like dis. I don't dislike. I don't think they're a bad developer. I think they're the games are just not for me. Sure. Like they're not how I enjoy games. Uh, are you a fan of the the Yoshi games in general? Uh, I'm guessing not. Like Yoshi's Island, the Yoshi Story. Uh, I've only ever played Yoshi's Island. Uh huh. Um, and I like it, but you hate those babies. <laughs> I hate I hate those babies, and it was definitely one of those things where after Super Mario World, yeah, you're like, wait, what, what is, is going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I hear that. Um, yeah, I I, I wonder. If you, uh, you probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't be into uh, Epic Yarn. Um, oh, I played Epic Yarn. Oh, you did. Yeah, just not Woolly World. That's what I meant. I meant yeah. Woolly World. Um, yeah, Woolly World is. It's very much a good feel game, but it is also very much a, a Yoshi game. Yeah, and I'm okay with, you know, there being this like, sure genre of games that's just like, you know, what? I'm I'm glad they exist, but it's not for me. Is there um so let, let's move on to the like the speculation what what do we think where would we like to see Goodfield's talents aimed next? Yeah, because it seems like his they've have a little uh, niche for themselves mm-hmm. in Nintendo. They make these solid platformers that don't sell, you know, millions of copies, but are solid um I wonder how many you know, uh, tripic yarn sold. <laughs> and uh, I assume it's in like the, uh, Yoshi, not Yoshi, Kirby. All these are nonsense words. It's right. like saying you know like, uh, butter over and over, and you're like, butter. This doesn't butter, mean anything. Butter, butter. Um, Kirby. They're like, I'm sure they're probably like Kirby games where you know they can reliably sell a million, million and a half or something, but probably don't. Uh, burn the barn down. Right. Um, uh, I'm not finding this information as quickly as I thought I would. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it does seem like you know at this point you know what a good feel platformer is going to be, and just like Kirby games, they sell reliably and they're reliably good. So I would imagine they're working on another, you know, reliable, solid, uh, sure. platformer of some sort. Do you have uh, any guesses as to or hopes as to what what it would be? By I, the way, Kirby's Epic Yarn sold 1.59 million copies yeah, worldwide. See, yeah, see, totally respectable. Um I would love to see a new Wario Land game. Yeah, so would I. Um Wario Land for sure would be great. You know what uh, what else I think would be a good fit for them is Kid Icarus. Get like a do it back up in that like Wario Land shake it anime anime style and just make a regular two D Kid Icarus game. That, that would be, be cool. Great. I feel like uh, this yarn and woolly has become its own subgenre. Like yeah, we have you, to have a third one. You can't have two out there mm, and then just okay. Kind of, I feel like you have to complete the 
the yarn trilogy. Knitting, yeah, the knitting trilogy. What what completes that knitting trilogy then? Mm. What if it's Metroid and everybody just like <laughs> doesn't know what to do? Metroid crochet Samus. <laughs> uh, how fun would it be to see some of these yarn characters show up in Smash? Oh, I would like that. I mean, even just as an alternate costume for uh, for Yoshi, that would be cute. Um, what if it is a yarn game where you're it's uh, ice climbers? Oh, love it! And they're like tethered by a piece of yeah. yarn. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 great. That's it. That's that's it. And it's Print it. all about like uh couch co-op. Yeah. Which Nintendo's way into. And the Goodfield games are both uh, Epic Yarn and Woolly World have really good couch co-op yeah that's it that's it that's the game yeah (laughs) um another thought that like went through my head i don't know that they would have like the the just pedigree for it because they do so much in the way of platforming but just speaking of the kind of very specific visuals remember when uh star star fox was being advertised with like marionette puppets that I want. I want to see a Star Fox where everything is a puppet. They kind of uh, held on to that aesthetic in Star Fox Zero, right? Everything's a little jerky. Yeah, and I, that's more emulating the like '64, like the f- so few frames of animation. Um, if they made it really look like there were puppets, <laughs> in like that would be. That's what I want. Like uh, a Thunderbirds yes. type scenario? Yeah. Or a uh, um or like the promotional art from the Exactly. SNES. Yeah, yeah that's what uh, I want. Version of Star Fox. Uh okay. Well, I feel like I know Goodfeel now. Do you feel like you know Goodfeel now? Yeah, I feel good about Goodfeel. We feel good about Goodfeel. I just cued the wrong music. <laughs> nothing can kill our vibes, though. Yeah, nothing can kill our good feeling vibes. Ooh. Okay, we got a question on our Facebook page that I think we should answer because it's a fun question. Uh, remember, if you want us to answer any of your questions, you should write into Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com gmail. or contact us on Twitter. We're Nincart Society. Nin, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's Nin right. Cart Society um, on Twitter. And we are just Nintendo Cartridge Society on Facebook. Any of those ways to get in touch with us, just like Foddle did. Foddle, uh, our first guest from our Luigi's Mansion episode. Writes in saying, hi, Nincart Sock, which is what he calls us. So, playing Mario Kart, I recently discovered the character Rosalina, who is my favorite character to play in the game. I was very excited to learn more about her backstory and was wondering, which character in Mario Kart has your favorite backstory and why? I like Rosalina's because she doesn't fit the classic damsel in distress motif. Uh, thank you, Fadal, for, for that question. I also like Rosalina. Um, I love the Galaxy games, uh, and even if there's, like, this, uh, the, the Rosalina story is presented as, like, a totally separate thing that you have to, like, go into the library to hear her story, um, it's still cool. I like that she's, like, the mother of galaxies. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Rosalina a lot, and is one of the few Mario characters, or Mario Kart characters, that really 
has a, like a full story. I was going to say, I was, I was trying to think. I don't, I don't think I know the stories of most people. Uh, King Boo, does he have a deal going on? I don't or know. Or is he just like, did they just throw a crown on him and call him King Boo? Like, does King Boo appear in a game <sighs> as I mean, King Boo? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would bet that there's a King Boo in like a Mario RPG or a Paper Mario somewhere. Something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, does Dry Bowser come from somewhere? He's just a skeleton Bowser. Yeah. Um, I do like the shy guys in these games. Um, just uh, shy guys were s- like they were so second tier for so long, right? That they were like they showed up in Super Mario Brothers two, and then probably a decade went by when we didn't see shy guys again. And now shy guys are back, and I just like that shy guys are around. I like my boy Roy. Yeah, I One love Koopa Roy. Kids. Roy is the best Koopa kid. Um, but I think that's just about those cool sunglasses, right? Oh, that's, I mean, sure, part of it, but like the attitude, the swagger. Yeah. Uh, of course, we're all big fans of 2006 Times Person of the Year, me. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that's the backstory. Right. The, the, the backstory is that he actually is the for Time me's? Magazine. Yeah, for all me's. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, trying to think of like who else has a backstory of any kind. Babies, they can go. Well, even like Mario and company don't really have a backstory, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think at, at some point you have to just like extrapolate what like the story of Mario is. Because or... is Mario an like is he Italian? Is Does he, Italian? he come from Earth? Is, is he a is he a plumber? Like is, is, is he is a his human tra- man? Is his trade plumbing? Is that what he does in the Mushroom Kingdom? No, he is a hero in the Mushroom Kingdom, right? Part time, part time. <laughs> but you know, like, so I, I don't, I don't know what I don't even know what Mario is anymore. I mean, Mario is a full time hero in the Mushroom Kingdom. I don't know. I don't know why we're talking about <laughs> it. But so he's not from Earth. He's not Italian. Like, is there, right? He can't be. He's not Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, to say that any of these characters have a a story or a backstory. I mean, Rosalina. Rosalina does. Right. But also, she goes go-karting with, you know, someone who kidnapped her new friend's girlfriend twice. How come Kirby's not in these games? Doing like a little Kirby air ride. I mean, the, uh, all of the guest characters are so new to Mario Kart um, that, like, I think it'll happen with time that we'll see Samus and Kirby and, you know, eight Fire Emblem characters. Um, Cloud. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, Solid Snake. <laughs> um, it's weird that there's Donkey Kong levels, but no Donkey Kong characters. Other than Donkey Kong. Yes, other than Donkey Kong. Um, yeah, especially because there were two more of them in the Wii version, um, Diddy Kong and Funky. Funky Kong was in the Wii version of that game. I think there should be more. I think there should be more. I think they should get the, uh, the Diddy Kong racing characters, throw them in there too, even though I guess a lot of them are probably bogarted behind Rare's IP. I mean, really what this question has done is made me realize, what is Mario canon? Right? Oh, the, you can't possibly. No, no, no. I don't mean. I don't mean story wise. Yeah. I just mean like 
because I feel like in the early days of Nintendo in the mm-hmm. in the 80s um when it, Mario was first being uh like released and was a huge like phenomenon right it was accepted canon that they were like brothers from New York who were Italian right. who were plumbers right now I don't think any of that's true brothers yeah brothers brothers for sure um and yeah, I don't know that they're Italian. I mean, other other than like when they speak, they sound like Italian stereotypes. Yes. Um, but unless they're from Earth, they can't be Italian. Well, so unless you're positing, yes, which I'm willing to entertain the idea that in the Mushroom Kingdom there, there is, is either an Italy. An Italy or a little Italy. So I think there's probably a little Italy in the Mushroom Kingdom because. We know that it's not as though they grew up on Earth and then moved to the Mushroom Kingdom because we've seen them there as babies. Yes, but they seem to exist in the same reality. What do you mean? Well, in like the Mario Kart games. Or are we saying Mario Kart is not? Oh, that Mario Kart is, is it non, non-canon? Uh-huh. I think it's soft canon at best, right? Because like Link is <laughs> driving around. That's the true. Inklings, like we have to, we have to say... A line has to be drawn somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And we know that Smash isn't canon. Well, it's funny that they for Smash they went through this elaborate backstory. These are toys in a toy box, and like right. Mr. Hand is the hand that's picking them up, and like all that kind of stuff. Uh, for Mario Kart, they've just presumably just been like whatevs, whatevs. There's no way to keep <laughs> no way to keep it straight. Do you know that the original Mario Kart started off as an F Zero game? Yes, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the answer to your question, Foddle is what a stupid question (laughs) (laughs) don't ask this question it's dumb (laughs) all right Fadal, we love you write in anytime you want and anyone write in anytime you want um we are going out on that we're going out with uh me saying that that question was stupid uh remember you can always write in to us at nintendo cartridge society at gmail.com uh, by going to Facebook or to Twitter and contacting us there. Um, if you like Mark and Mind's opinions, nope, skipping ahead, skipping ahead in the show notes. Um, you should like, subscribe, all of that stuff with this show. Tell your friends. Um, and that contest that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We've got a new idea. Well, let's sit on it for a second. Okay. All right. Do we want to float it out there and see what people think or no? Do you care what people think, or you want to? I mean, I I care deeply what thirteen year olds <laughs> care about Minecraft. Right, 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 right. Other than that, no, not particularly. Okay, so it's a it's a we'll say that it is a a unique custom item. Yeah, and and we won't be making it, so it'll actually be cool. Right, right. I mean, we'll be we're not involved. we're not yeah, but we're not like. Going out to a woodshed and trying to like put together a spice rack. Right. I'm saying that we're going to color a page in our coloring book and send it to you. <laughs> uh, if you like Mark and Mind's opinions, you can find our conversations about comic books on retconpunch.com. Um, we were both on uh, a podcast recently um, Playing Favorites. Playing Favorites. Uh, wherein we discussed the original Star Wars, the 1977 version, and then reenacted it. Uh, so if you want to listen to us forgetting a lot about Star Wars, you can check that out. It's available now. Um, 
And if you want to watch us play D&D on Tuesday nights, you can do that. We are the Chainbreakers Union. Dungeoneers Union, I Dungeoneers think, is the Union. Twitch channel. But go to Twitch and just search for Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> at Tuesday at 7 p.m. Pacific time. That's right. Um, Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8-Bit Betty. You can find more of 8-Bit Betty's music by skipping back about 20 minutes when I messed up or going to his website or checking this out right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thanks for listening. What's a creative podcast network?